Welcome to Uninformed Summary. This is a podcast where we look at people or topics from history and their effect on history. Each of us has done a different level of research. This week, we have Molly in the hot seat. Say hi, Molly. Hi. Molly's done the most amount of research, followed by me. Say hi. Hi. Followed by Matt. Say hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. And then followed by Vinny. Hi, Matt. And this week we are discussing Amelia Earhart. Molly, take it away. That's right. Amelia Earhart. She goes by many names. But we got to start from the beginning, right? So she, Amelia Earhart, was the daughter of Samuel Edwin Stanton Earhart and Amelia Amy Otis. She was born on July 24th, 1897 in Atchison, Kansas. And at an early age, she defied traditional gender roles. She was like the ringleader while her sister acted as like the devoted companion. Um, and Edwin and Amy raised them both to be proper girls, yet they were happy tomboys. And they had an undeniable spirit of adventure. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I just imagined like a really young Amelia Earhart with like pilot goggles on. And she's like, you're late to piano lessons. Sorry, I killed this <laughs> rabbit on my way. And I'm like, yeah, that's how it was. Like <laughs> they were rebellious explorers that rode their ponies bareback, which is something like little girls weren't, you know, happily looked upon when they were doing that in bloomers. You know what I mean? Mm. Like they, <laughs> uh, yeah. Like who, who let them ride horses? Yeah. What are we going to do? Vote next. But they were, damn Vinny. Um, <laughs> but they, but they were, you know, also climbing trees, hunting rats with a rifle, catching worms and moths, you know, just digging in the dirt. And Amelia loved chemistry and sports. Like she played basketball and stuff. And um, there's a story actually that in the winter time, she would like run with her sled and like do a body slam, like a run and jump and then, you know, slide down these hills. And there's this story about one day her and her sister were sledding and there was a horse and carriage coming down the, you know, but did she stop or did she veer off? No, she just kept trucking. So when she like trying to beat this horse and carriage, she zipped underneath the horse, like slid down she kept going and then she just like oh you gotta yeah. duck if you're doing that well she was a kid <laughs> i'm just saying you don't want to take a never mind <laughs> well you know when you first said that you were, you were saying that she used to do this like body slam thing i was like so i was like man amelia Earhart just like it was like was it body slamming kids like she just running around the neighborhood all like that like like brock lesnar get the fuck out of my way <laughs> On Dancer, on Prancer. But one day she wrote that it was unfortunate that she was born in a time where girls were still girls. And I can totally freaking relate to that. Yeah, right? I think that's uh, this is 1900, 18, 1897 she's born, right? So that's, that's not a time where it's probably easy to cut your hair shorter if you wanted to do that or where it's easy to go play with snares and rifles instead of going to like put your corset on a little tighter yeah you know is the right. idea mm -hmm. um believe it or not she saw her first aircraft and was not interested in it at all cool she thought it was just a, <laughs> That's a twist. it was a rusty piece of junk but this is when <laughs> she was like 10. um like those old commercials where you'd see like a young Jimi Hendrix looking at a, you know, guitar in like a window or, you know, John <laughs> Lennon or whoever. And it's like, you know, oh, it's clear foreshadowing. 
Not yeah, nope, yeah. not with her. <laughs> like, ew, I'll never. <laughs> I would never be caught dead in something like that. Oh, <laughs> foreshadowing much? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not even realize you were foreshadowing? No, that's yeah. sad. Maybe Scott doesn't know, guys. No spoilers. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No spoilers. Yeah, I was supposed to do the second most research, so I mean, I I read, I googled it, but I didn't click any of the links. I was like, I got the gist of it. So she liked the ocean. I don't know. Okay, so she saw her first aircraft at um, the Iowa State Fair in Des Moines, and um, this was a year after her father, Edwin, which comes up frequently throughout this story. Um, he was like transferring jobs as a claim officer and it was for the Rock Island Railroad, which was an American class one railroad. As opposed to the sh shitty class two. <laughs> and there's a giant <laughs> double song about it, so it has to be good, right? There is a folk song about it. Yeah, yeah, Rock that's Island right. Line is a modifying road. Rock Island Line is a road. Yeah, right. figured I'd throw that little tidbit in there. You so her dad's like commissioning work for this railroad? He's there a claims a, officer. He's a claims officer. Because I heard he was a really bad drunk. He yeah. was. That's he, what I remember. It's yeah. really hard to go off road so. on a train. <laughs> <laughs> things he's just chugging booze like yeah, the thing <laughs> practically drives itself. <laughs> <laughs> and his alcoholism becomes apparent a little down the line. Um Amelia's sister, her name's Muriel, um, they remained with their grandparents in Atchison while their parents moved to Des Moines. And they received homeschooling from their mother and governess. Amelia was exceedingly fond of reading, and she would spend like countless hours in the family library. Um, and once they were reunited in 1909, they were, the sisters were enrolled in public school for the first time. Amelia was 12 and entering the seventh grade. So like, we're just going to throw you into public school real quick at 12. Ooh, after like being pretty private life. Yeah. I'm sure that's easy. <laughs> easy adjustment. Probably came with, you know, no bumps in that road. Right. So. She had a big gap in her teeth too, so that was probably easy to deal with. Because yeah, no, kids don't make fun of that pictures. kind of stuff. Yeah, they never. Yeah, <clears throat> and that is also mentioned later down the yeah. line when she starts getting. Mm -hmm. I, as a person, to give a little personal anecdote, I had a really bad uh, grill, as the kids call it, growing up. Bad teeth, and that'll just shrink you yeah. in front of other people. Yeah. Oh. So I learned to fly small engine planes. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I had a, uh, uh, a random thought. Uh, we'll say that I was sober at the time that being a pilot <laughs> has got to be like one of the strangest jobs in the world, because up until like technology allowed you to like use like, you know, tools in front of like a computer game or something like that. Uh, you didn't have any like you didn't have any way of knowing whether or not you would love flying or hate flying until you'd already learned how to fly for the most part. Basically, you know, yeah. like if my cat hurts itself, I'm like, mm, I'll play vet here for a second. Uh, <laughs> but like you can never just accidentally fly a plane and find <laughs> out that that's your favorite thing. You can't in watch the world. a YouTube video of it. Like, yeah. <laughs> hey, Delta, I. <laughs> Trust me, I did just as much research as I do for my podcast. I feel like you guys should let me give this thing a spin. <laughs> it turns out down is up and up is down. It's all, it's all you need to know. Yeah. Well, that's what they wrote in the papers afterwards. <laughs> it turns out you should go the other way as opposed to... Anyway. Anyway. Um, after the family got settled and... Um, you know, in the in Des Moines, in their new home, it was apparent that Edwin was dealing with some alcoholism, and um, in 1914, which is 
five years later, he was forced to retire and he tried to rehabilitate himself. But yeah, I don't think, I, I'm not sure what like treatment or whatever one would, one would do. <clears throat> 1914 and just yeah, give you like, cigarettes. <laughs> probably gave you like I don't know some other drug. <laughs> here's yeah, here's some cocaine. You need to get off that booze. Yeah. Yeah, um yeah. He, was he doing it like by himself or uh, I don't think there's a lot of like support groups in that time and right. there was also a very very like private culture of manliness uh in the corporate world. In the sort of family man it was culture, a man's world, huh? yeah, yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> I know from just some a priori stuff about Amelia Earhart that like she was particularly let down by her dad. Yeah, he would continue to disapp- disappoint her. And... Yeah, so this is like this theme through her life. But too. she, but she loved him very much. Like the reverse relationship with my parents. <laughs> <laughs> like... oh. For somebody to disappoint you, you well, have to love them first, right? Like if she didn't yeah. give a crap about him, then he couldn't keep disappointing her. And to put the icing on the cake, around this time her grandmother dies. Mm. Um, her mother's mother, Amelia Otis. Um, and she left her daughter a substantial share of you know, the estate, and she would uh, fear that Edwin's drinking would just drain it. But... <laughs> He's going to the family money box, and there's just, like, empty alcohol bottles instead. <laughs> and the house okay. is auctioned off, and oh. all of its contents, and um, which later Amelia would describe as the end of her childhood. Oh, yeah, you're not going to feel innocent and, like, uh, carefree when you're right, yeah, that's that's really Just sad. Troubling. But, anyways, she graduates high school in 1916 from Chicago's Hyde Park High School. Shout out, <laughs> and everyone's listening now. <laughs> Don't become through- a pilot <laughs> <laughs> throughout her childhood. She longed for a future career and she kept a scrapbook of newspaper clippings about successful women in predominantly male-oriented fields. Um, and or foreshadowing. Too. <laughs> and speaking of troubled childhood, she wanted to put that behind her and her parents, their marriage behind her. Uh, she was set on helping people instead, especially during World War One, seeing the return of wounded soldiers. Um, she received training as a nurse's aide from the Red Cross. Big shout out. Began work with the Voluntary Aid Detachment in Toronto, Canada. Big shout out. A Spadina military hospital. And while she wasn't working her duties, she spent time watching pilots in the Royal Flying Corps, training at the local airfield. So he's like, "Yeah, I could do that." <laughs> yeah, that's just crazy to me to like look up at something like that and just feel like that seems like a good career path now. Especially because planes well, were so it, new too. Like, I'm saying the first aircraft she saw was at some crappy fair when she was young so she wasn't right. going to be like super interested about it when her dad took her to um an air show that's when it like really started yeah let's talk about some what's some contemporaneous developments in flight when's the kitty hawk flight from the wright brothers right that's like 1903 or 19 yeah it's like 1903 and then Okay. As I'm thinking, she was probably way more impressed by these planes at this air show because they're probably way less shitty, right? Like World War One had already happened, so planes got yeah, a lot better. They've, now they've been. <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah. while she was in this hospital, she was preparing food for patients with special diets and 
handing out prescribed medication and um, they became increasingly art, you know, arduous and the Spanish flu came around in 1918. Resist but urge to correlate. Later, later, she became a patient herself for about two months. Um, Did she catch it? She no, she had pneumonia. Oh, oof, good. Sinusitis, um, which would have migraines, which would actually later um, affect her flying. Yeah, right. Sinusitis is a real thing because that sounds like someone who does not <laughs> has not been a doctor has just put on a lab coat, walked in. He's like, you got a real bad case of the maxillary sinusitis. Sinusitis, sinusitis yeah. is yeah, it's my it's what you say when you need a day off of work. <laughs> <laughs> I have sticking Tinsberg's disease. I'm but gonna not be able to make it in. For her recovery, she returned to the U.S. to stay with her sister in Northampton, Mappapoofeth. Spending her time reading poetry, learning to play the banjo, and studying mechanics. Keeping it against tradition. Yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A year later, she enrolled at Columbia University in New York as a pre-med student, but then quit a year later to be with her parents who had reunited in California. Oh my God, they got back together. That's a story. That's, that's a, <laughs> I, Terry Pilots, she was awakened to the wondrous world of flying. Mm. And her father was aware of her restless nature and secret passion to fly. So in Long Beach on December 28th, 1920, Amelia and her father visited an airfield where Frank Hawks, who later gained fame as an air racer. D. Frank Hawks? Frank Hawks. <laughs> um, Shout out. He gave her a ride that changed everything for her. She's, it's 1920. She's old enough for me to make this joke, right? I was waiting for it. <laughs> okay. I think we were all seeing who would pick it up. <laughs> for those of you that cannot, because we're an audio uh, form, I have just been watching Vinny stare at Molly. <laughs> I just think I needed some tacit approval to like even try this joke. Ride of her life, you say? Yeah. So um, she took her first flying lesson on January 3rd, 1921. And in six months, saved up money, borrowed money. Um, her father paid for some of it. But anyway, she yeah. managed to save up to buy her first plane. Does anybody um, want to take a guess at what her newest obsession is named? Like, what did she name her plane? It was bright yellow in color. Rumblebee. She named it the Canary. Okay. Oh, that was my second guess. To set her first women's record by rising to an altitude of 14,000 feet. That's legit. Yeah, which only fueled her passion, but did not solidify as a career in aviation because that wasn't, you know, really a thing, especially for women. Um, Which it gets better. Um, Amelia would like secretly cut her hair inch by inch until they were super short and shaggy and um, so she did it just like a little bit at a time so her mother wouldn't really notice (laughs) Um, and she began wearing riding pants and boots with a heavy leather coat which she would wear to bed to make it look warm. Yeah, I did read that. Um, I, I read that anecdote in the past. Yeah. That she would, that she was like, did this to match the image and like create the image of a pilot. She was breaking all conventions. <clears throat> um, 
dress for the job you want, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know. And she was promoting her own style. Believe it or not, in between flying, she found time for romance. Um, she got engaged to Sam Chapman, who was an engineer who boarded with her parents. But the engagement didn't last long because mm. she's so wary of marriage. <laughs> can you believe it? Oh, yeah. Why? Did something happen? Sorry. Can Can you believe it? <laughs> People hop in this thing that's been around for like 17 years and goes into the sky, which no one's ever done. <laughs> but what really scares me is waking up and having to make breakfast together. <laughs> oh. yeah, yeah, I mean, it's that's one yeah, of the things... And I don't mean to take this from you early, but like that seemed to be one of the major things that I had been reading about was is her propensity of like not wanting to be tied down. No, not which at all. does kind of fit with the the flying of planes as well. But it's very much she was not at all interested in uh and in feeling trapped in anything. Mm-hmm. She thought marriage was a cage. I wonder if that's just because that was the way it was treated conventionally in its time, right? We're talking depression era time. Yeah, this and is agency, yeah. <laughs> really tough time. Agency right for now. a wife of somebody like, I mean, not to call back to another episode even, but we're doing Birch Bay Title Nine in 1970 something, and they're like still trying to defeat that shitty stereotype, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. back here, you're you're it's in the thick of it. Yeah. Yes. Um. In 1924, her own parents separated. And as a result, she moved with her mother and sister to Boston, leaving her airplane and her dreams of flying. Damn. Um, In Boston, she accepted a job teaching English at a settlement home and had made enough money to thankfully... Take up flying on the weekends. Woo! I'm back, baby. Yeah. So, <laughs> and this is, you know, Boston, Massachusetts. Um, flying here. Yeah. But she would make it into the newspapers on occasion with a title, The Girl Flyer. <laughs> See that? It's that kind of shit. Right? Right. Cringy. So cringy. Um, And as much as she was satisfied with having flying just be a hobby, um, she soon received an interesting offer. And this was 1928. Um, You want to invest in some stocks? (laughs) I got a good good feeling about this next year. A public relations firm was searching for a female pilot interested in being the first woman to fly across the Atlantic. And that flight was supposed to be a goodwill gesture between the U.S. and England. Um, And at the time, I don't want to. Yes, I do. I do want to say this. She was unaware that her career in flight and and being a pilot was about to take off. Oh, and you did that. And she, she was chosen as the one woman to participate in the transatlantic flight. Yay. Um, Yay. Which, yeah. So they met up in New York and scheduled it exactly one year after Charles Lindbergh made his transatlantic. But it was... Um, Coattails shrouded in secrecy. Want to want to take a guess why they would why would they would shroud it in secrecy? She was transporting the baby of Lindbergh. They probably wanted to be first, right? They didn't want somebody else to I jump like, him. Like Scott's idea, in order to increase publicity. There yes, you go. That is right. Yes, that make that makes way more sense. <laughs> um, which brings me to introduce George Palmer Putnam. Also known as GP. Cue the John Cena music. <laughs> this Sunday from, <laughs> from America to England. But anyways, GP was the mastermind. He was a book publisher, flamboyant and handsome and charming. Um, however, when he's upset, 
he was said to have an evil mouth. Um, Which back then, I mean, an evil mouth, I mean, you could... Fear that Edwin's drinking right, would yeah. just drain it. Well, was, was lurking back in the days of, you know, nothing blasphemous. <laughs> I, I tell you what, G Jesus would be disappointed, actually. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. oh my God. That was extremely unmitigated gall. Oh, I'm sure it was bad. But GP, he couldn't make it to fame himself, so he had to, like, leech off of other people's. <laughs> um, Is this the guy that's publicizing this event? Is that what you're saying? Like, the mastermind? Like, he's, like... Oh, he's, like... orchestrating the flight? He's, he's <clears throat> seeing... He's recognizing something in Amelia, like a stardom. Uh, right. Um, some sort of fanfare, you know, with her feminine looks and... Um, her daredevilish spirit. I'm just, just starting to get the idea that he's kind of like a sleazeball agent. Yeah. Like a sleazeball talent agent. He becomes her agent. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> there you but, go. Does. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah. It gets better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, for this, this flight, um, Amelia wouldn't be allowed to fly the plane, but she would be along for the ride. Oh. That's problematic. Um, yeah. But the crew was pilot Wilmer Stoltz and co-pilot mechanic Slim Gordon. And Amelia was captain and log taker of the flight. Okay, captain. Yeah. Okay. So That's a guy's real name, Slim Gordon. She's thinking she's going to go on vacation I and then I'm going to come back and I'm just going to go back to teaching. You know, just this is great. Um, due to bad weather, after... Days of delay. They had to delay the flight. Um, June 18th, 1928, the friendship flight took off. But, of course, there were complications because blinding fog forced them to land in Nova Scotia. Facts, um, Nova Scotia. <laughs> Are you flogging Molly right now? <laughs> I sure am. <laughs> they were stuck for 13 days. Oh, well, that's going to disrupt a nonstop flight. Um, <laughs> Wilmer was a good pilot when he was sober. Uh oh. <laughs> and this was not the case during those 13 days. So Amelia. Well, yeah, 13 days in Nova Scotia. Forces, what the fuck are you going to do? Yeah. Forces <laughs> like cups of coffee into him to sober him up because she had to deal with her father's alcoholism. So that's even, you know, she. Probably oh, doesn't man. have a tolerance for it, which is why she's like, here, drink this. Come on, we got to go. Can so, you really blame the guy, by the way, though? I mean, I mean, it's not like this is life or death or anything. It's not like he's flying over the Atlantic or something crazy <laughs> like that. I mean, what is this? A drive down the street to get some cigarettes? Like, right? <laughs> oh, Too and much. it was against across. The, OK, my bad. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Read uh, further down. <laughs> so back up in the air. They flew for over 20 hours in fog, snow, and icy rain. So they water landed off the shores of Burryport, Southern Wales. Um, their landmark flight made headlines worldwide because, you know, three pilots had died within the year trying to be the, f the first woman to fly across the Atlantic. I didn't know if yeah, I did not know. Oh, jeez. So, oh, there's that. Okay, so I'm just gonna make a quick clarifying point. So Amelia Earhart is not the first woman to try to fly. No, <laughs> no, across the Atlantic. Okay, it's the first one. No, She's I the imagine. first one to survive, <laughs> and she didn't even fly the plane. Was it all just this one company that's like, we'll get a woman to do it. It's like, you know, they just find some girl down at like the local fucking grocery store put her in the front of a plane. Doesn't work out. And then they're like oh, one they guy were, back at the calling, media company. They were calling female pilots. There's there are more female pilots. Right, right. I'm I'm mostly being facetious. Just just one guy back at the, the media company that's like, dude, what if we actually found someone that knows how to fly that way? <laughs> we're 0 for 3 so far. What if we go 1 for 4? That's exactly what I was picking up with what Scott's saying. Like they had these like horrible attempts. Like were they just not hiring pilots in the past or navigate? Like Amelia Earhart actually has the skills to fly. 
I well, wonder like, if they were like we back stunting up and, before. And realize how dangerous flying was back then. Like crossing oh, yeah. the Atlantic in a plane doesn't seem like a big deal to us now, <laughs> but like Charles Lindbergh got so famous because what he did was freaking incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that's a mm -hmm. good point. Which they started calling her Lady Lindy, <laughs> saying that she had a resemblance no. to Charles Lindbergh, which offended her. Yeah, like, come on. Why wouldn't it? When you know this this man who has already done something great she compared herself to a sack of potatoes during the flight she didn't do anything like yeah that was that that seemed to be one of the main ongoing things of was like you know it, this wasn't like she could have just taken that fame and just ran with it as a positivity but she was like i don't want that like she didn't want that fame for that reason you know feeling like she didn't actually contribute in the way that was necessary for her own you know psyche to comprehend definitely uh which, I mean, honestly, the, the fame just kind of came after that. She, her life would never be the same. GP slithered in and became ringleader in her <laughs> circus to stardom. He groomed her to be the most famous aviator in the world. Oh. And as her agent, he instructed her to smile with a closed mouth because of the gap in her teeth. Uh -huh. Oh, God. And... God. He told her to stop wearing silly hats that covered her wavy blonde hair, um, which she quickly adapted to newfound fame. Um, she became an instant sensation on the profitable lecture circuit. Oh, yeah. But those that came to listen to her commented more on what she wore than what she had to say about flying. You mean like uh, after the event like i'll take some questions now yeah you know i just explained to you aviation theory and sort of how we flew across the atlantic circumnavigating the uh you know the better part of the world here with just these shitty old instruments but uh any questions yeah hey i like your pearl necklace who are you wearing today <laughs> yeah. but okay so here's here's i think it's pretty cool we were talking about her own style well, she had a flair for fashion and designed her own line of clothing to further promote, promote her image. <laughs> and um, yeah, she designed her own clothes. And um, her cousin Nancy inherited, would inherit some of her suits. And um, she, it, was, it was really cute. I saw this in a biography. Um, she was very pleased to get any of Amelia's clothes, and I wore them until they fell off. I just thought that was the cutest Aww. thing. Mm. Um, so it's creepy. What? <laughs> I mean, how? Okay, let's. I've I've been I've had the same pair of pants for yeah two or three years. They haven't fallen off. Hey, well, if something's, if something's good, you just can't get rid of it. Okay. Trust me, but, I know. <laughs> um, Amelia received thousands of dollars from sponsors and endorsements. Um, aviation was an expensive career, and she would do all the publicity publicity necessary to keep flying. Um, which, from the beginning of her stardom, she used to celebrate. Um, other women flyers like um, she would definitely do what she could to support them and one way she would use her celebrity to help other women flyers um, in 1929 she participated in the first cross country all women's air derby and the press labeled it the powder puff derby oh, okay. <laughs> And the women were called the Flying Flappers. Well, wait a minute. Flappers was uh, was more of like a woman-to-woman -woman empowerment thing, right? Is that is that right or wrong? Thank God this is called yeah, uninformed I mean, it's, summary. It's a complicated historical thing. Like, yeah. So there's a lot of women's empowerment in it, but then you also have shit like this, where you know you have the powers that be that are like co-opting it it's like hooray look women can fly planes good for them it's a flapper oh, yeah. powder puff yeah <laughs> so um, i can see how it's bad while trying to be good maybe yeah 
this just yeah (laughs) officials claimed that it was too dangerous and that and she really raised pain (laughs) yeah dude raising pain man she was amelia was very fond of her colleagues um and genuinely concerned about their careers well yeah i mean that's a small wolf pack right like when you're breaking through as a group of women pilots Trying to do, okay, right? Well, I'm trying to have a career. We're going to have an event that men do. And then they're just going to, I see what you're saying, Matt and Molly, too. Like, we're just going to name your sick air show where you do awesome air stunts, the Powder Puff Derby. Right. I see it. Yeah, like, that's offensive, right? Even if it's trying to, like, it's a false stab at this equity of position. Yeah. That's even why when we did the Mia Hamm episode, I made certain to uh, not, it's at no point does it say women's soccer. It's soccer. It yeah. just happens yeah. to be that the person that we're yeah, talking yeah. about is a woman. Right. Those don't have to be mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Um, but you know, you know what she had? A George Palmer Putnam. <laughs> Amelia had a GP. So she was. One of she became one of the most famous aviators, probably the most famous female pilot, certainly. Uh-huh. Um, What's the jury? But, 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 but wait, hold on. Oh. Even though she was the most famous, she wasn't the best. Like she was a veteran of many accidents, and like her stomach would get upset from gasoline fumes. And again, with the whole sinusitis thing, sometimes she would have to wear a tube. Oh, yeah, that, that pressure is for real when you fly. Um, anyone who's been on a plane, you feel that. But if you have, like, any disorders that cause, you know, <clears throat> uh, problems with your sinuses or ears or any of that, yeah, it's, uh, it's hell on wheels when you're flying. Mm-hmm. And they've made adjustments. <laughs> they've made adjustments mm-hmm. to that uh, now in terms of, like, who we recruit for Air Force because of, like, you know, can't wear contacts, can't wear, you know, I mean, everything is like very over the top and forced where, you know, we're all like, well, that's dumb, you know, uh, but it's situations in the event of like this, not, not at all indicating that shouldn't be the, you know, be allowed, but it's like, it can be a detriment to the longevity of a career <laughs> if that can cause problems while you're doing it, you know? Right. If you have to shove a tube up someone's nose every time they get on a plane, it's going to be... <laughs> yeah. But she she wasn't always in locally. the air. She wasn't always in the air. So, like, <laughs> as much as she wanted to be, she was always on the lecture platform, always promoting the next flight, you know, as soon as possible, which detracted from mm-hmm. her having any high skill, yep, high level of skill. Um, Getting away. Yeah, so... She had the personality and the appeal, which she appealed to both men and women because she looked feminine and masculine, um, which is fucking awesome. And which in the Depression era, she was a symbol of a brighter future. Amelia would, as I said, rather be in the air more than anything. But she couldn't fly without the money <laughs> that is consumed. Not and, in America, baby. <laughs> but she was reali- she was realistic about it. She was a workaholic. Yeah, right. And, like, didn't she do? You said she was into profitable speaking engagements, yeah. and like she was always she's on the promoting. Go. She's also like working for a publicist, mm-hmm. so someone is booking appointments. Oh, to... you better believe GP kept her busy with yeah. raising money. Yeah. Um, money to fly rather than spending time actually being in the air, which is kind of ironic. Uh, But they were seen spending a lot of time together and it was rumored that they were having an affair. (gasps) At this point, I know. That sounds like a terrible abusive position on his part. He was 43 and she was 33. So. Scandalous. GP eventually divorced his wife of 18 uh-huh. years. Dang. 
I'm sure that that did not add to the speculation at all that oh. they were having. In the <laughs> Certainly did. Of course not. Um, gossip soon spread that Amelia had turned down his proposal of marriage five times already. Which and, is a lot. Uh, yeah, that's a lot. Which is a lot. <laughs> I've been told no like twice before, and I was like, well, then I'm done with that. <laughs> but, uh, Third time's yeah. Time? I don't think a Apparently publicist not. can. Uh, Six times can, the like, <laughs> Yeah, right. And he's a publicist. He could really sell himself, you know? <laughs> Hear me out. I Go ahead. Okay, so five times declined. She was still unsold on marriage and viewed as, viewed as, as a cage. So Very she awesome. was talking to Eleanor at lunch, and Amelia asks her, what do you think would be the reaction if I had married him? And Eleanor responds, well, I think I'd prefer to see you married to Genghis Khan. I just can't <laughs> see it. Because everyone in the business hated Padma. <laughs> yeah, I called it earlier. Not to be like that guy, but I feel like I called it with He's, the skis bag rep. Yeah. Like That's why I've been using words like snake and <laughs> slurred. And... That's a good point. That's fair. JP. He okay, so um among aviation circles, GP was the pushy promoter who always muscled his way into photos with Amelia to <laughs> profit from her glory. Right. But Amelia somehow felt she needed him and finally agreed to marriage. The day before the wedding, she got cold feet. <laughs> And, and flew away. No, I'm no, sorry. <laughs> but, she, but she did draft a brutally honest letter to him. Oh, no. And a part of this letter goes like this. You must know, again, my reluctance to marry. I want you to understand I shall not hold you to any medieval code of faithfulness to me, nor shall I consider myself bound to you. I must exact a cruel promise. And that is, you will let me go in a year if we find no happiness together. Wow. No pressure. <laughs> so she had her contract right there for him. Right. You know, um, she didn't want to be tied down. So on her wedding morning, Amelia said that she would try to fulfill her part of the obligation. Um, but she felt that she wanted to be free. <laughs> Those are some fucking vows. Huh? Yeah, right. All right. All right. Listen. But, okay. So GP accepted her conditions and <laughs> they were married in the next day in Connecticut. I'm sorry. This is such and a business. <laughs> it's sad. It is a best. It so is a business a, wedding. You like guys. Alliance. It's so <laughs> to be um, fair though, to be fair though. I mean, that sounds like one of the most honest ways to walk into a relationship like that is like, listen, I don't believe in forever. I believe in right now and maybe a little bit in the future if you don't fuck this up. Yeah, um, this this is what I'm agreeing to, you know. Uh, I, it, it sounds like it's more empowering than it is necessarily sad, at least to me, is like that you guys would sit down and go, these are my terms for, you know, this is my clear, clear communication for what is going to be this marriage if we're continuing. Right. Which... So bravo. <laughs> uh, G GP eventually, you know, fell for her, and I think she eventually returned his love. Um, but after exchanging vows, she removed her wedding band and never wore it again. Um, <laughs> no honeymoon, just went back to work to prepare for the next flight. Well, didn't she um, say too, like, I do not expect me to be faithful to you, and I don't expect you to be faithful to me, right? So this is just, this is honestly, yeah. Go get some, uh, Amelia. Wow. I guess, right? yeah. So Amelia Earhart, badass bitch. She had a lifelong competition with herself to try and set every flying record imaginable. Um, she wanted to prove that she could fly across the Atlantic on her own. On May 20th, 1932, she arrived in Harbor Grace, Newfoundland to embark on her transatlantic hop. Dun, 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 dun. At 7.15 p.m., she lifted off, but no sooner was she in the air did she run into trouble, as you do when you're trying to fly across a long expanse of 
<clears throat> water. Yeah, you'll have that. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, Matt. Matt's just cat. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> that's to be expected in a, in a giant basic yeah. storm again i just Whoa. want to emphasize like how hard aviation yeah. is now like we're so blasé <laughs> yep. about it now like it was it was dicey business back then yeah. i have like no space in the cockpit like, she was flying through blinding clouds ice and snow covering her wings the last two hours were the hardest she turned down the reserve tank and found the gauge leaking and so she decided to come down at the very nearest place. Ew. And as dawn approached, she landed in a cow pasture near, <laughs> near Londonderry, Ireland. So after scaring most of the cows in the neighborhood, she pulled up in a farmer's backyard. <laughs> and farmers, those, those very farmers, were stunned to see a woman emerge in pants from the plane. Oh, fucking That's classic. That's the part that got them. Was the pants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So within hours, photographers and reporters, they mobbed the meadow and her flight was a triumphant success. And back in the U.S., President Herbert Hoover presented her with a gold medal from the National Geographic Society and Congress awarded her the Distinguished Flying Cross, the first ever given to a woman. It's um, nice. Yeah. And at the ceremony, Vice President Charles Curtis praised her... Uh, saying she displayed heroic courage and skill as a navigator at the risk of her life. Um, so Amelia felt the flight proved that men and women were equal in jobs requiring intelligence, coordination, speed, coolness, and willpower. So they threw her a parade in her honor. And Charles Lindbergh and his wife sent their congr congratulations, but she was modest and said she did, did it for fun. Um, um, yeah, you'll have to meet our dog. Oh. <laughs> and she was 35. <laughs> she was 35 at this time. Um, by 1934, she was one of the best known women in the world. She used her fame to popularize commercial air service. Um, which she attracted customers to New Airline, which eventually became TWA, which is Transcontinental and Western Air. So this is kind of interesting if I can like butt in, which I just did. So, haha. <laughs> but think about like one thing I haven't thought about throughout this, but Matt keeps bringing it up is like how dangerous this flight stuff is. And they did probably need people to be like, don't worry, it's okay. If you get on one of these, you can go from here to there and you won't die. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah, they need to like your creepy DP agent. Well, he, he does have to kind of like tell people this is a viable product service, right? Mm -hmm. I never really thought about the yeah. fear people would have because, mm -hmm. right, I, I, I was never worried about flying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, she actually took up the first lady, Eleanor Roosevelt on a night flight Aww. and she was so excited by the experience uh, Eleanor was that she wanted to get her pilot's license but uh, Mr. President he, he refused saying that <laughs> holy shit no 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 women he don't didn't, fly he didn't want to lose the first lady in an airplane oh. yeah but uh, actually Amelia and Eleanor they, they became like friends you know what I mean? Um, so Amelia, she passionately crusaded for social causes. And she supported the Equal Rights Amendment and fought to end discrimination against women pilots, which GP had contributed greatly to her success in a man's world, right? So uh, they've been, so far, they've been married for three years. And their agreement seemed to be working out. Good for them, right? They moved Happily from New after. York to Southern California. Um, he worked as an editorial director for Paramount Pictures, so Amelia spent time with celebrities, but tried her best to keep her private life to herself. She loved her periods of solitude because she was always on the go. Um, and I think this was around the time where her popularity was kind of slipping, so it was time to take another flight. Um, so... 
January 1935. She was the first person to fly solo from Hawaii to the mainland. But it was labeled a corrupt publicity stunt. Apparently, GP accepted money from someone in Hawaii for the trip, and they didn't like pay taxes. So it was just this big, uh, big stink, you know. Okay. So Amelia was always under pressure to make money, although a willing participant in doing what she needed to do to pay for, you know, flying. It put a strain on her marriage and. Uh, but she, she managed to stay in the public eye for like 10 years. Um, but in order to be set up for life, she needed to uh, take one more flight. Uh-oh. So determined to set a new record, um, unaware that it would be her last. So she announced the solo around the world flight, mm-hmm. but it'll be, it would be the first ever circling the equator. There have been you know other successful flights around the world but none circling the equator <laughs> she's like i'm just gonna not do ice this time <laughs> because it wasn't fun the last few flights just right? being the you know how the propellers would just <laughs> freeze so in order to make such an ambitious flight she <clears throat> traded in her plane for the most advanced aircraft at that time um, she raised eighty thousand dollars for the mission from purdue university where she had been on staff career counseling young women and to prevent any gossip about it being a publicity stunt she said that the airplane was to be a flying laboratory for aeronautical research and uh she was going to make the trip solo but she again lacked that higher level of skill that she would need to take that on so she brought on a team which was uh, Paul Mance, Fred Noonan, and Harry Manning, um, who was not only skilled in navigation, but was also a pilot and a radio operator, and he knew Morse code, which she didn't, she wasn't comfortable working a radio. She was, she didn't know Morse code. So these, these <laughs> were imperative, you know? Um, so Amelia lectured all across the country to make money for the flight. Physically and mentally, she was at the point of exhaustion, but um, she kept on keeping on. She would do anything. And she told her friend that this was going to be her last big stunt flight. Quote, I had a feeling that there's just about one more good flight left in my system. And I hope that this trip around the world is it. Yeah. Well, it was, huh? So March 17th, 1937, Amelia and her crew embarked from Oakland, California, on the around the world flight. So she's like 40. She was born in 1897. She just turned 40. This was approaching her 40th birthday. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was like a couple weeks shy of turning 40, actually, when she disappeared. They made a successful takeoff for Hawaii, but when speeding down the runway in Honolulu, um, the plane crashed. Okay. Which is was a huge setback. Repairs cost about thirty thousand dollars, and and to to Molly's earlier point about her not being the best pilot, there's a, there's a number of theories about what invo- like caused that crash. But one of them is that it was pilot error. Yeah, but she continued. But she had to continue with two less crew members. Harry Manning had to return to his job, and Paul Mance was edged out by GP because they were bickering over money or GP thought she was having an affair with him, but I don't, I don't think Amelia was like that. I think it was just GP being a drama king. Uh, That left Noonan who wasn't skilled with radio and had a drinking problem. Oh, there's that thing. Yeah. Um, So not good. And, (laughs) But her optimism didn't stop her from flying from Florida to South America, Africa, India, and Australia. And they eventually landed in New Guinea to refuel, but she was not well, like, which would make sense because she was fatigued to be with, to begin with, because going out on all those lectures and going all across the country. Um, 
which um, George Putnam told George Palmer Putnam, I, I like GP, told her to abort the flight, but she was determined to march forward. On July 2nd, they took off for Howland Island, where they planned to refuel for the last leg of the trip. It, and Howland Island is a small stretch of land in the South Pacific, um, which she had relied on her navigation skills so far, but there was thick cloud coverage and their map of the island was off by five miles, um, which the Coast Guard was positioned by the island to receive radio signals, but Amelia couldn't adjust her radio to the correct the correct frequency. Yeah, because she never bothered to learn how to use the but, radio. And also, like, when they took off for, for Howland Island, they left, like, a communication wire and, like, a Morse code key, and, like, it was just, it was Oops. not good. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you need that. Yeah, it, it, this is just painful it seems like a stacking of errors that seem that's yeah um, gonna result but it but it's cool i'm sure it's gonna be fine <laughs> and here's the um last couple uh signals that were received from amelia we must be on you but cannot see you gas is running low but uh, unable to reach you by radio so unable to use morse code she signaled again and the Coast Guard there, they were called the Itasca. They couldn't hear. Uh, well, they could hear her, but she couldn't hear them. There we go. They could hear her, but she couldn't hear them. Running out of gas. Only half hour left. Cannot hear you at all. Still nowhere in sight. Her voice was heard for the last time. We are in line of position 157-337. We are running north and south. No other transmission was was received after that, and Earhart and Noonan had vanished on July 2nd, 1937, at age 39. The U.S. government immediately launched the largest and most expensive search for any lost American in U.S. history. 65 airplanes and nine naval ships scoured the Pacific mm. and... GP even shelled out for two years before surrendering that she was never coming back. Um, which led to conspiracy theories. In fact, I just want to point out that's way longer than Amelia's prenup. That's double the <laughs> amount of time right. that her prenup would have. Like, so he put in the after hours. He well, he's actually he's a businessman, so he did have in the in the small text, you know, uh, in the event of you know we reach the one year. If otherwise stated, <laughs> renew contract. Right. <laughs> there is a book out there. Your subscription to my marriage is actually set to auto renew. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> you have to cancel it. So there was a supposed conspiracy theory that uh, they were captured and executed by Japanese during World War II. That she was on a spy mission from the Roosevelts, where she could never return. People just couldn't believe that she was gone. Right. You know, yeah, she faced death in the cope. way she faced life. Yeah. Um, here's, here's another nickname for her. the angel of the air. She was transformed into a legend. And I'm going to end on a poem that she wrote uh, before she disappeared. And it's courage is the price that life exacts for granting peace. The soul that knows it not knows no release from little things, knows not the livid loneliness of fear nor mountain heights, where bitter joy can hear the sound of wings. Beautiful. And, yeah. Oh, man. So, wow. My sources are history.com, uh, Wikipedia, watching some YouTube, and there is an AmeliaEarhart.com. So go check it out for more info on her achievements and it's a cute little website. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, we are going to conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much. Uh, very nice job, Molly. If you want to follow yeah. Molly on Twitter, you can follow her at Mallswald, M-O-L-S-W-A-L-D. I got that right first time. <laughs> um, 
You can follow uh, me at, at that one loud guy. You can follow Matt at Matural20, and you can follow Vinny at Billy Ray Cyrus. Nice. Once again, thank you guys so much for watching. Is that just the name of his Twitter? He don't tell me he got there first. Yeah, he has it. He had to buy well, I assume that. It's he had you. to buy that from yeah, he had to buy that from somebody. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the story. Molly, you want to take us out? Don't forget to like and subscribe. Don't forget to like and subscribe. We will see you guys next week. Peace. Bye. This is a podcast where we look at people or topics from history and their effect on history. Each of us has done a different level of research. This week, we have Molly in the hot seat. Say Molly. God damn it. Start over. <laughs> Careful, guys. This is going to be both her first podcast and her first word. So let's go ahead. Say Molly. <laughs> Molly. At the end of the episode. Oh, okay. One second. Did you turn a fan on? Fuck. <laughs> Why are you nervous? <laughs> <laughs>